Chapter Twenty Four of David Ransom's Watch by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: That Short Potential Stir That Each Can Make But Once. It was very sudden at the last," said the nurse to Miss Hannah. "Cases of this kind often are. As soon as I came on duty this morning, I saw that there had been a change." but I didn't think, even then, that the end was so near. I thought of you right away, but you hadn't left any word about being sent for. And, anyhow, I knew you would be here likely this morning. If your train had been on time, you would have had a chance to... She broke off with that, and began again. He asked once or twice what time it was, and if you had come, and he was growing weak so fast that at last we phoned, and found that the train was late. It seems too bad, doesn't it, when you have been so good to him? The nurse's manner was very respectful. She knew Miss Stearns well by reputation, and had been duly impressed with the care and attention shown to a stranger who had confessed some weeks before that he couldn't occupy a private room very long for want of means. The college girls went away in haste, wiping tears from their eyes, and drawing their large hats well over their disturbed faces. They were young, and death in any form was a solemn and awesome matter to them. "'I am so glad you could do that wonderful thing for him,' said the youngest of the three, linking her arm in that of the soloist, and kissing her under cover of the hall before they passed out. It was beautiful, dear, and it would have killed me to have him die without a prayer when he had asked for it, but I couldn't have done what you did to save my life. Miss Hannah had no tears to shed. She was dignified almost to grimness, and never more businesslike. She conferred with the physician in attendance, and with the representatives of the board of managers, making all necessary arrangements and answering all questions with her usual brevity. There were no friends, so far as she knew, who could be summoned. There had been a brother, but it was not certain that he was living, and she had no clue as to his whereabouts. There had been, she believed, no communication between the brothers for years. Certainly she would try to discover him, and make every effort to get the valise and valuables belonging to the deceased into his hands. In the meantime, however, all proper arrangements must be made, and the bills rendered to her. Mr. Ransom was a family acquaintance of long standing. His wife had at one time been a member of her own family, and she was evidently the only person left to look after details. For the present, the only thing to be done was to lay the body to rest in the Stern's burial place. Later, if there should be occasion, a removal could of course be effected. It was many years since the wife was buried, and Miss Stearns had not the remotest idea where she was laid. "'I did not think he was going to die,' she said, looking firmly at the doctor. "'There are matters about which I should have felt that I ought to have conferred with him if I had had any conception of such a result as this. But I believed, as he did, that he would get up again.' The doctor, who also knew Miss Stearns very well by reputation, felt his color rise a little at the implied rebuke, which was more in her tone than her words, and answered quickly that while, 
as he had told her on their first interview, he had not felt that there was much prospect of a recovery, still the end had been unexpectedly sudden to them all. They did not presume to be very wise with regard to this matter of death, and always answered questions with becoming caution. Still, if he had not understood that the patient was an old friend of Miss Stern's, he should have asked for some instructions himself. And then the doctor felt that he and Miss Stearns were even. Two carriages, in addition to the one for the bearers, followed Ben Ransom's body to its resting place. In one, the Stearns family carriage, which was used only on state occasions, sat Miss Hannah and her adopted nephew, Harlan Kingsbury, he having been summoned by a letter whose brevity was characteristic. Dear Harlan, an old acquaintance of mine who died two days ago at the hospital is to be buried here today. I want you to come and say a prayer at the grave. You can take the 210 train, the one on which they bring the body, and it will not take a great deal of your time. It seems fitting that your first official duty should be for an acquaintance of the family. I shall meet the train. What is all this, Aunt Hannah? the young man asked as he seated himself opposite her in the closed carriage in which he had not rode half a dozen times in his life. An old acquaintance, you said. Have I ever heard of him? Is he an old man? How did you come in touch with him? Your letter, you see, told me nothing. I found him at the hospital, Harlan. He sent for me, and I went in twice to see him. It is more than a quarter of a century since I knew him but he married his wife from my house. She was in my employ. He buried her long ago, and there was no one left but me to bury him. Now don't ask any more questions. You can see for yourself that there is nothing more to tell. I'm going to bury him in our family lot, because there is no other place over which I have control, and it is large enough for a dozen more graves." Harlan Kingsbury was used to his aunt, and obeyed her literally and cheerfully. He was a very new minister, having been ordained but a few weeks, and it seemed to him a beautiful coincidence that his first official duty should be at least remotely connected with the family of which he had for so many years made one. "'It is just like you, Aunt Hannah,' he said, taking her large, work-worn hand in both of his, as the carriage wound among the great avenues and halted before the carefully kept plot whose handsome centre marble bore the family name. I don't know another person who would have done it, but it is a beautiful thing to do. He believed that he understood the situation perfectly. When he called, as he did on the following evening, on the college girl who was the solo singer of the college trio, he told her that he had been down in the country to officiate at his first funeral, and that the interment was in their family burial plot, the dead man having been the husband of a maid who was, years ago, in his aunt's employ, and had been married from their house. The girl-wife had died when she was young, and the husband was old and poor. The college girl was deeply interested and sympathetic, and agreed with him that such tokens of remembrance and regard bestowed upon old servants were unusual and royal. 
then she opened her lips to tell him of the old man at the hospital who had died so suddenly with none of his own about him but she closed them again he might question and her part in that death scene was something which was not to be talked about the other carriage that followed to the grave that day held miranda and jonas dressed in their sunday best and sitting side by side in solemn state when they spoke it was in subdued tones such as people use in the presence of death ain't it a mite queer murmured jonas to bury him right in with the family this way when he ain't any relation at all she must have a lot of old acquaintances well said miranda then she was still after a solemn silence she began again in whispers as if she feared the leaves and the birds that save for the crunching of their carriage wheels on the gravel were making the only sounds in the quiet place i've never breathed it to a living soul and i know you won't but since you are one of the family as it were and it must seem kind of strange to you i'll tell you that the man we are going to lay in the stearns family burying ground expected years ago as much as he expected to die sometime and i don't know but more he wasn't the kind of man you would think ever meant to die to marry miss hannah poor soul said jonas he was thinking of miss hannah they buried him with all the circumstance belonging to people of consequence one who had known ben ransom well could almost have fancied his being pleased with the quality of rosewood and satin and silver that contributed to the beauty of his narrow house as well as with the fact that he was after all to lie in the stearns family burial ground let everything be done properly miss hannah had said to the undertaker and he had obeyed her as for the services at the grave the middle-aged men staunch admirers of miss hannah who served as bearers agreed among themselves that it was wonderful what talent that young fellow had to think that a boy they had known all their lives could make such a prayer as that miss hannah might well be proud of him poor miss hannah that was one time in her life of loyal service to harlan kingsbury when her thoughts deserted him while the others listened with reverently lifted hats and bowed heads to his fine rendering of the familiar words i am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live she heard not a word not even of that beautiful prayer into which harlan being very young could not help weaving a tribute of respect for the friend who was not withholding even the last resting place of her beloved dead from service in the interest of others this struck miranda as so appropriate and touching that she cried and even jonas got out a clean white handkerchief and blew a trumpet blast but to miss hannah in that hour was given the bitterness of a time long past instead of spring it was autumn and the brilliant autumn leaves were being swept into glowing heaps by one named lucy and a young man was walking beside her talking gaily and they stopped together under the great elm tree and the young man stooped and kissed the girl why should hannah stearns spinster gray-haired and wrinkled standing at an open grave lose herself in such a scene as that 
one thing she thought as the burial service ended she went back to her carriage which was that if by any means it could be discovered where lucy's dust was laying it should be brought to lie beside her husband's to this end and also of course to try to find dave miss hannah during the two following weeks gave herself to the patient going over of notebooks account books business letters and indeed any scrap of paper belonging to ben ransom which his valise and the business house by which he had been employed could furnish and she found no clue to either she marvelled much that a firm with which a man had held fairly satisfactory business relations for ten years could know so little about him it was evidently true as mr ransom had told her that he had been merely a machine for them that would be worked as long as it turned in the money and when that failed be turned out to rust there were certain fragments of letters that miss hannah picked from among the scraps and glanced at here and there for a moment then held herself from their reading ill-spelled badly written as they were she knew that they were scraps of letters from a wife to her husband letters that had the appearance of happening to fall among a rubbish of waste papers rather than of having been saved but miss stearns resolved to hold them sacred there was scarcely a possibility that they had even mentioned dave much less given his address after holding them in irresolute hands for a full half hour she went toward the great fireplace and dropped them in given the bare possibility that benjamin ransom had a daughter on the earth and that they two might some time or other meet there was surely no reason why those ill-spelled scrawls from her dead mother's hand being intended only for her dead father's eyes should be held to give the daughter pain she would do so far as possible as she would be done by and she applied the match and watched the poor fragments turn to ashes she was very quiet about her search after dave assured that there was no one in touch with her present life who could help her she shrank from the talk that the knowledge of her effort would make there had been talk enough already the neighbors could not easily give up the marvel of having the stern's burial ground invaded by a stranger not that they disapproved the neighborhood almost to a woman had as the years passed grown only kindly in their feeling toward miss hannah she was much richer than any of them but she did not parade her wealth and she did much good with it they knew that no case of need was ever brought in vain to her notice and now that harlan had grown to be one of whom they could all be proud they all unless one must accept portions of the collins family agreed that in bringing up and educating a real foreign missionary miss hannah had done a good thing and one that honored the neighborhood as well as the church to which they chiefly belonged for by this time it had become quite generally known that harlan kingsbury meant at no distant day to go to japan just what he could do away out there with all the money that miss hannah would probably leave him they were not quite sure still it was remembered that mission fields were always needing money and if miss hannah liked to use hers in that way she certainly had a right being in this mind they all agreed that while it was an unusual thing it was like miss hannah 
and was really very nice indeed to bury the husband of an old servant in the family ground and they talked enough about it to create miss hannah's one regret for having done so certainly she would not set them talking afresh not even harlan heard about her search why should he of course he could not help her and he was very busy indeed just now about his own affairs so she inserted at much expense her carefully worded personals in many western local papers and dave whose old eyes never rested on one of them wrote regularly to the college girl who had a charming light on her face one evening when she said in answer to a question put by harlan kingsbury who was calling on her it has been a good day to me from first to last i passed you see in one of my hardest examinations and then i had such a dear letter from father just this morning that it brightened all the day End of chapter twenty four